When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Pitch to Contact, part of the Twins Talk Network. And we are so happy to be once again in your ears. I'm Ben Jones, the managing editor of Twinkie Town, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Cuff from Pitcher List. John, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Excited for opening day. Excited to see some real baseball. Uh, and yeah, cheering the Twins as they start off the seasons against, against Kansas City. Yeah, so they'll... Uh, have first pitch tomorrow against the Royals. We're all really excited for that. And to get everybody excited, we wanted to do a little bit of a off-season recap and season preview before we start off tomorrow. So we're going to get to that. Uh, but before we do, just a couple of quick plugs for you guys. Be sure you're checking out everything that we're doing on Twinkie Town. Uh, if you don't already visit the site, it's a wonderful place to get some really good Twins coverage. We're ramping up for another full season. We'll be covering every single game. We will be going over every single Good thing, bad thing, Emilio Pagan homers, whatever you uh, are looking for, we'll have it there, good or bad. Yeah, I, I hope there's not that many Emilio Pagan homers. If I'm, I'm hoping there's not that much Emilio Pagan in general. Unfortunately, it's not yeah. working that way. <laughs> it, you know, if, if if all we get to see from Emilio Pagan this year is just the disgusting stuff, I'll take that. Oh, there, there's something about it that's disgusting, and unfortunately, it's usually my reaction <laughs> to what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, John, anything people can check out at Pitcher List right now? Um, yeah, I mean, we're full in uh, draft mode. Obviously, if you're you know big into fantasy baseball, um, hopefully you've already completed your drafts. But if you're still looking, still looking for some draft advice, uh, head over to PitcherList.com. We've got rankings for all everything you could ever want, starting pitchers, relief pitchers, position players, um, and then just daily articles coming out recapping what's going on all across the league. So uh, yeah, definitely check out Pitch List if you're looking for some information just in regards to Major League Baseball in general. Yeah, so today we'll be going over again the offseason recap, season preview, and then we're going to be running the Byron Buxton interview again uh, along with this because it's pretty topical to a lot of the things that we talked about. He talks about um, you know, his experience with Carlos Correa. He talks about really wanting to get to the 130 game mark, which with him recently being announced as the everyday DH uh, is going to be pretty topical and pretty insightful to some of the answers that uh, he gives and what we talk about when projecting out the roster. So uh, be sure to give that a listen again and shit. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Transition. Probably. Uh, uh, I guess. Um I guess now we'll just move into the off-season review or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. And without any further ado, let's get into our recap. Um, so we're just going to go through chronologically, player by player, what happened a little bit, what it means for the Twins, put it in context and go from there. So when to get the off-season started, the first move the Twins made was trading Gio Urshela away. There was a lot of debate about whether or not the Twins were going to non-tender him. In the end, he's not on the team, but they get a little bit something back for him. And that something is uh, right-handed pitching prospect Alejandro Hidalgo, uh, who right now is the Twins' 23rd ranked prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Uh, he's a long-term prospect, one of those wild cards that you just take a gamble on and see what happens. He has sneaky stuff, but he had 58 strikeouts and 39 innings last year. Uh, but needs to improve his stuff a little bit if he wants to get up to the big leagues. Uh, honestly, it was mostly a money-saving move. Uh, Urshela, while he's a solid player, Twins probably didn't want to pay him that $10 million salary. 
And, you know, maybe now in retrospect, it'd be nice to have a little bit more right-handed hitting depth, but in the move, in the moment, I think it was a solid move. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, the big move reason behind the move too, is so that they could move Jose Miranda back to third base. Um, and I mean, we'll see if that works out. Um, Miranda hasn't played third at all this spring training due to some shoulder shoulder issues. Um, and so it, it remains to be seen whether he actually ends up playing third base um, in place of Gio Rochella. But I think that's kind of why the twins made the next move that we're going to talk about. Kyle Farmer, um, who's a shortstop for the Reds. We traded him for right-handed pitching prospect Casey uh, Legumina. Um, you could basically see these trades as basically a Gio Rochella for Kyle Farmer. Uh, the the one thing here though is Kyle Farmer definitely has more utility in the infield. He played um, over 800 innings at shortstop last year. Um, he could slide in very easily at third base as well. Um, and he's just an overall just a, a better utility player than Urshela was going to be uh, for this team. Yeah, and with Jorge Polanco uh, potentially starting the season on the injured list, I think there's a chance we could see Farmer at second base to start. John mentioned uh, Miranda's shoulder issues. He could see some time at third. Uh, the front office even mentioned he could see some time in left field against uh, lefty pitchers uh, with the Twins' depth of left-handed hitting corner, out, corner outfielders. There's definitely lots of ways for him to get on the field, which will be good. Uh, the next move that we had here was Christian Vazquez. Uh, the Twins, at the time, biggest free agent signing, luckily ended up not, but he signed for three years, $30 million, uh, a good move here basically to push Ryan Jeffers back into more of a backup role. Uh, I think they'll split a fair amount of the time behind the plate, but Christian Vasquez is a solid veteran presence who pitchers love working with. He always rates uh, at the top of the league in defensive metrics, framing. Uh, so he'll he'll be a big addition to the Twins uh, defensively. And whatever you get from him on offense, it's a little bit of a bonus. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting too because um, Christian Vasquez is a right-handed bat, so is Ryan Jeffers. So it, it doesn't lend itself easily to a natural platoon um, where you know one guy's facing lefties, one guy's facing righties. And, and like you mentioned, Vasquez is just going to be better on defense compared to Jeffers. Um, Jeffers is still young though. This doesn't prevent him from becoming, um, you know, the, the catcher of the future, although I'm sure time is running out a little bit on, on him, but I, I think ultimately this was a good move for the twins. You know, they like having two solid catchers that they can rely on. You know, last year we had uh, Gary Sanchez and Jeffers and obviously the years before uh, Mitch Garver um, and Jeffers as well, but also some contributions from the other catchers as well. So this is really in line with just what, the twins front office usually does, you know, they like yeah. to have two good catchers, um, both guys who aren't, you know, complete detriments at the plate. Um, Jeffers is, you know, a monster against uh, right-handed pitching. He's, he's really solid there. So um, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out for this situation, but overall, yeah, great, great move for the twins. Yeah. And I think too, if you look at almost every successful team for the last five years, almost none of them are getting that much offense from their catcher, right? And so when you can pick someone up like Christian Vasquez, who's always going to be top of the line defensively, um, you're you're looking really good. I mean, look at the Astros when they won the World Series with Martin Maldonado behind the plate. I don't think he's hit an extra base hit in three years, and they, they seem to be doing pretty well. So, um, all right. So the next move that the Twins made after that was uh, the Joey Gallo signing. He signed for one year, $11 million. Uh, which I think is a solid move. He provides uh, some depth. If he looks anything like he did prior to really the second half of 2021, uh, this is going to be a tremendous value and you know potentially a really solid middle of the lineup bat that the Twins desperately needed. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I don't think the Twins have really had a guy with Gallo's power since maybe Nelson Cruz. Um, I mean, Gallo has had two seasons back, you know, 2017, 2018, where he hit over 40 homers, 2021, he hit 38, excuse me, you can cut that out, Brian. <laughs> uh, he, he had an OPS, not, oh, sorry, he had a WRC plus of 122 back in 2021, uh, WRC plus 144 in 2019, you know, say, to, say what you want about, you know, the rabbit ball and how that affected 2019. But Gallo for is just one of those guys who, if he's on, it works out. And I don't know, maybe 11 million is maybe a little bit, a little bit expensive, more than maybe I would want to pay. 
But if it works out, I I think the Twins legitimately have, you know, an all-star caliber hitter um, who, mind you, also plays really good defense in the outfield. Um, it's one of the surprising things about Gallo is that he's a really solid defensive outfielder. Um, and so that means great things for the Twins, being able to trot out, you know, an all-star caliber um, or a gold dog caliber outfield. You know, you've got Joey Gallo. Uh, potentially Byron Buxton or Michael A. Taylor. Um, and uh, Max Kepler can hold his own very well as well in the outfield. Um, so I, I like this pick for the most part for the Twins. Uh, um, I don't think there's a bad, like you said, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Yeah, and I think you know Twins fans are going to not be a big fan of it initially. Uh, Joey Gallo has the highest strikeout rate in MLB history. Uh, right ahead of Miguel Sano, who yep, Twins yep. fans were just very happy to get rid of finally. Yeah, and so um, you know there, there's going to be some complaints about that. And you mentioned uh, Gallo's really strong 2021. That was with an absolutely atrocious second half after being mm-hmm. traded to the Yankees, where right. in the first half he had a 9.23 OPS, and the second half it was 6.61. Um, and so we're not even asking him to go that far back to really, you know, recapture some of what he was as a hitter. And right. I think it, it's as good a deal as any, if he's bad, it's a one-year deal. It doesn't hurt you long-term. So, right. Yeah. And I, and I think there's plenty of options to replace Gallo. If it doesn't work out, he doesn't have to, if he, yeah. if he really ends up being a, a, not a great pickup, you know, you can cut him. Uh, there's, there's plenty of prospects in the twins organization that can fill that role. Uh, you know, maybe they don't have the power that Gallo has, but they can play left uh, left field pretty easily. So uh, yeah. ultimately, I think a, a good move for the Twins. Funnily enough, MLB Pipeline scouting report for Matt Walner has uh, Joey Gallo as his best case scenario. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, well, we will we'll place Joey Gallo with Joey Gallo light and <laughs> it'll, it'll be fine. That's right. Well, we've got the biggest deal, uh, the one that Twins fans were all probably waiting on. And, you know, I'm sure there's maybe some mixed feelings about this, but ultimately um, we got our guy, Carlos Correa, uh, signed a six-year, $200 million guaranteed deal with the Twins um, with vesting options for the next four years after that um, based on plate appearances um, as well as if the Twins just want to bring him back, uh, they can decide to do that. These are all team options. So... Uh, kind of works out pretty well for the Twins, you know. If it if all works out for Correa, it's it's ultimately like I believe like a two hundred eighty five million dollar deal for ten years, um, and that's if everything works out for him. And honestly, contracts a uh, contracts aside, I think this is just a great uh, great deal that the Twins were able to get in getting essentially the shortstop of at least the next six years. Um, Obviously, we got a lot of good names in in the farm system to uh, who are also you know potential future shortstops. But getting a guy like Correa, who's solid offensively, solid defensively, um, it's it's hard to see downsides in this deal for the Twins. Yeah, I mean, he has been the best hitting shortstop in the league for the last three or four years, depending on you know which metrics you want to look at. Xander Bogarts and Trey Turner are obviously both up there, but. Uh, you know, comparing Correa's deal to Turner and Bogarts. I mean, the Twins got him at a deal. And obviously there's a reason for that. There's big long-term injury concerns. Both the Mets and the Giants backed out of the deals they agreed to with him. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that that's not nothing. Maybe he really does have termites in his ankles or whatever they think they found down there. Right. But I think regardless, it's a move the Twins had to make. The Minnesota Twins simply don't get opportunities to bring in players like Carlos Correa. Mm -hmm. And so if you do get that chance, you figure out a way to make it work. And maybe he only plays shortstop for two years of this contract, but he has a good enough arm. He's good enough defensively where he can slide over to third uh, and he'll be great over there. And so uh, whatever happens with him long term, it was the right move to make in the moment, uh, regardless of what you think of it. Yeah. And and if you really think about, you know, I I think a lot of, Twins fans have maybe framed this in that we essentially, if everything works out, we got Carlos Correa for 11 years, $315 million. Like if you take away the, all the, the injuries and things like that, like if you told any Twins fan two years ago that we were going to be able to sign this deal, I think they would have been ecstatic. Um, and uh, Correa clearly has established himself as the leader of the clubhouse. 
Um, you know, but he's not a leader in the sense that he's, you know, taking over from other guys that were already established um, as part of the Twins core. I think he's added to it, uh, if anything. And I think it's going to be he's going to be a really good influence on um, not just, you know, the the, the 26 man roster, but also prospects in the organization. Uh, like you mentioned, you got a couple coming up, Brooks Lee, also Royce Lewis, um, Austin Martin, these, these, you know, these young guys who are athletic or can play short. Um, obviously they're not going to play, probably not going to play short anymore, but Korea um, is going to be part of you know that veteran group. That's going to bring those guys along um, into the future. Yeah. And I mean, you'll hear this in the interview with Buxton in a few minutes here, but that's something he specifically calls out is it's not just that, you know, he makes himself better, you know, he makes the team better by being there, but his knowledge of the game, his ability, his skill, it enhances everyone around him. I mean, I think we saw that in a big way with Jose Miranda last year, where Correa really took him under his wing and helped him adjust to big league pitching, uh, just to the culture of being in a major league clubhouse. And he flourished after that really rough first month in the bigs. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple other things I want to point out with the deal really quick before we move on. Um, So, the deal after the third year starts declining in value. So it's $32 million to start uh, for the first two years, 36 in the third, and then it goes down from there, 31 and a half, 30 and a half, and then 30 for the guaranteed years. Uh, after that, in the vesting options, if he hits uh, 575 plate appearances in the previous year, it goes down by 5 million each year after that. So 25, 10, 15, and then 10 in the final year uh, if it gets to that point. Um, and then the other thing to note is if the vesting options don't vest, uh, they turn into play or team options for the twins. And so they can choose if they want to retain Correa for the next year at 25 million, at 20 million, whatever it is, um, which is just, I think, an unprecedented level of team control for a player of Correa's caliber. Also for the twins, that declining value really becomes valuable because they need as much cash as they can have on hand, right? So as Correa gets a little bit worse, his salary is going to be going down uh, and the twins can adjust accordingly. Uh, For salary tax purposes, the only thing that really matters is the AAV. The twins aren't going to get anywhere close to the CBT threshold anyway. And so having the more cash year to year is more valuable to them versus somebody like, uh, say, the Phillies who signed Trey Turner for what was it, 11 years, 12 years. They don't care about the cash year to year. They care about getting that AAV down to stay under the CBT threshold. So a little bit different strategies depending on where you are as a team. But I think either way, the Twins really got an excellent deal here and obviously one of the best shortstops in the game in Carlos Correa. Yeah, the, I think the Twins payroll this year is going to end up maybe 140, 150 million, uh, which is nowhere near where that CBT threshold is. So, yeah, uh, yeah, they are not worried about that. And and yet with that 140, 150 million dollar payroll, you know, they've, they've locked up Korea for the next ser- six years. You know, Buxton's also locked up for the next six years. Um and then, like we mentioned, you got a lot of young guys coming up, um, some really solid pitching, which we're going to talk about soon. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's just it's just the right move for the team right now. Yeah. Uh, Fangraphs has their estimated 2023 payroll as 157 million, uh, okay. which would be yep. a record for the team. Right. So. And yet it still pales in comparison to what the <laughs> Phillies and the Yankees and the Padres are all doing. So that's right. All right. So the other big move of the offseason, of course, was uh, the Pablo Lopez for Luis Arias trade. Uh, Pablo Lopez, a pitcher who had a career year last year, uh, was very good if, you know, maybe not the ace that the Twins have always needed. But I think it's a shrewd move nonetheless. Uh, Luis Arias is a fan favorite. Everybody loves him. But in my opinion, he peaked last year and it wasn't going to get any better. Uh, And Listen, last year for Luis Arise was very good. He was an all-star. Um, he was relatively healthy for most of it. He at least played in the games if he wasn't 100%. Um, but I think, you know, hearing from what uh, the Twins beat reporters have said, from what the front office themselves have said, uh, you know, they love Luis, but the injury concerns, the lack of defensive ability, uh, and him being a light-hitting left-handed hitter uh, made him expendable. Yeah, the the main the big thing about a rise that you pointed out already was was the health piece, right? Um, last season he played 144 games. Uh, the year before that, 120. Um, in the shortened season, he only played 32, which was I think about half of that entire season. Um, 
And the reality was, you know, as a, you know, 25 year old player, even though he's pretty young, the twins weren't able to, weren't convinced that he was going to be able to stay healthy. Um, you know, he had issues with his knees um, and just overall uh, that that's a risk. Right. And so do you want to keep a guy like that? Who obviously one of the most beloved players on the team, um, obviously great hitter, you know, ale batting champ. Um, but do you want that player at first place first base? Because you can't play him at second because he's likely going to uh, get injured or just won't be able to make the plays that other second baseman can play. Um, and so I, yeah, I, in my opinion, I thought this was a great deal for the twins. Um, Pablo Lopez to me is a guy who has ace potential and the knock on him is also injuries. You know, that there's a similar injury risk that there is with Luisa rise. Um, but the ceiling for Pablo Lopez compared to his peers is a lot higher than what a rise's ceiling would be compared to his peers. And so I think the twins ultimately, uh, yeah, worked out a trade that that worked out well for them. And Arise uh, and Lopez actually isn't even that old. He's only twenty seven years old. Um, he actually just turned twenty seven like two weeks ago. And Arise, like I mentioned, is uh, twenty five, but he's turning twenty six um, actually in twenty days. So happy birthday, Luis Arise! Um, <laughs> they're only a, they're only a year apart. It's not like we're trading, you know, yeah. a young young player for for an older vet. So uh, ultimately, I think this worked out well. And not to mention somehow the Marlins were also convinced to give us two more prospects, uh, Jose Salas and uh, Brian Churio. Um, and yeah, I, I think ultimately this was a great move for the Twins front office. Yeah, I think a lot of prospect evaluators are split on where Salas is. Some people have him as a top 10 prospect for the Twins. MLB mm-hmm. Pipeline has him significantly lower than that. But he he's kind of similar, uh, if a little more highly regarded than Alejandro Hidalgo. Um, where... He's only played a ball. He doesn't have a lot of experience, but you know, there's a chance he could turn into something solid. Uh, the mm-hmm. reported initial trade was Miami wanted a rise for Pablo Lopez straight up. The Twins right. held, held out and they got two more prospects out of it. Yep. So you know that mm-hmm. that's good deal making on the front office's part. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention too was you know you you talked about how um, you know having to move him to first base really sapped a lot of his value. And I think mm-hmm. last year really uh, showed that, right? Where in the first half, he was an all-star. He was fantastic. He was probably the best hitter on the Twins through the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had 144 OPS plus in the first half for the Twins, which is outstanding. In the second half, some of those injuries caught up to him. He slowed down quite a bit. He still hit 289, but he was only getting on base at a 326 clip, uh, slugging only 389. His OPS plus relative to the rest of the league that year, or for the second half, was 103, right? And so basically for the second half, became a league average hitter, which at first base you just can't have if you want to be a title contending team, which the Twins want to be. And so... I think you're selling high on Arise. You're also buying high on Pablo Lopez, but there just weren't that many free uh, starting pitchers available on the trade market this offseason. And I think of the ones that were available, Lopez was as good as it got. So uh, yeah, good, good move making. Yeah, I, I think it's also interesting too. Um, and this is not a knock on Luis Arise or the Twins organization at all. But you know, going down the stretch in September, remember it was a pretty close batting title race between Arise and Aaron Judge. And the Twins were sitting a rise uh, quite a bit, actually, like not not more than um, maybe more than what Yankees fans were definitely hoping, at least. Uh, and it, it wasn't necessarily because they didn't want his bat in the lineup every single day. They obviously did. It was just that he was, you know, just hurt so much that they didn't want to risk playing him every single day so that he could last to the end of the, till the end of the season. And then the other thing about Pablo Lopez uh, that I just wanted to mention um, was that he was on fire uh, at the WBC. Um, He pitched uh, for Venezuela um, and his fastball was looking real nice. uh, A couple ticks higher than his season average last year. You can maybe attribute that to, you know, national pride being able to play for, his home country um, in the WBC, um, but he definitely looks healthy in spring training. Now we'll see if that lasts for the entire season, uh, but early returns seem to indicate that Pablo Lopez is uh, is as good as he has ever been. 
Yeah, definitely. It does seem like the uh, spring guns are running a little hot. Pablo Lopez is a lot <laughs> higher than usual. I saw yep. Joe Ryan had uh, had a pitch that hit 97 the other day. He's usually sitting at like 92. Yep. And so mm-hmm. maybe, uh, you know, the stat cast readings are a little off, but who knows? We'll see in a couple uh, days here when the season starts. Yeah. Uh, so the final trade the twins made this off season was for Michael a Taylor. Uh, he was acquired from the Royals for, uh, reliever prospect, Steven Cruz and Evan Sisk, uh, two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. As far as, you know, flyer, relatively low, uh, mm-hmm. caliber prospects go, uh, Evan Sisk had really good numbers, but the, all the scouting reports basically say his stuff don't back, doesn't back up the numbers that he's putting up. And so he's mm-hmm. putting up insane strikeout rates. Uh, but he was never called up to the twins for a reason, despite him being a little older. Uh, Steven Cruz is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where he has fantastic stuff. Uh, he's a young pitcher. Uh, and like a lot of those hard throwing young pitchers has horrendous control. Sometimes can't throw a strike to save his life, but for the Royals, I think, you know, pretty good return for Michael A. Taylor for the twins. Uh, he fills exactly what they needed, which is a really good gold glove winning competent backup center fielder for when Byron Buxton inevitably plays half his games as a DH. Yeah. And I think the, the more maybe important thing here to notice too, is instead of Cruz and Sisk, the Royals actually wanted Josh Winder um, in the trade. And, you know, Winder started with the team last year. He made the open day day roster, um, dealt with some injuries. Uh, I think he's ultimately maybe the number seven or maybe number eight pitcher uh right now for the twins and in, in terms of their starters uh he's he's going to probably start the season in triple a um but uh, being able to keep you know let's just uh, we can call maybe winder a major league caliber starter he's at least as good as uh, any maybe any number five on any other roster um, he can hang yeah he can hang for sure yeah it, it, instead you trade two prospects who you know might might work out and might not might not uh, even ever pitch in the bigs. Right, exactly. And and in and in return you get a gold club caliber outfielder. Um I think this is honestly one was one of the better trades of the offseason. Uh, yes, it was a really small move relative to a lot of other things that happen, but it shores up the Twins outfield so that, you know, we don't have to trot out an outfield like we did last year where it was like Mark Contreras, Jake Cave, Nick Gordon, you know, like that's just not going to happen this season. We're going to have enough depth to deal with those injuries. First of all, we don't stand for any Nick Gordon slander on this podcast. <laughs> Second, um, I, I do agree where it, it's a really good move. Um, this is not reporting. This is purely something that I'm gathering from talking to Byron today and mm-hmm. from some of the reports that have come out from spring training. But I think for most of at least the first month of the season, when he plays, he'll be a DH um, I think he's going to be pretty regular there. And even once he does build back up, he's playing more in center field. Um, we really won't see him out there consistently um, mm-hmm. for a few months into the season. Uh, and I think that makes sense given his injury history. Uh, the Twins have tried a lot of different things to keep him healthy and it just hasn't happened. So you try running him out more as a DH. If he gets hurt, you're in a lot better position than you know running out Alberto Celestino again for 90, 100 games or however many he played last year. So Right. Yeah. And before the hate mail comes in, I, I, I am a big fan of Nick Gordon. It's just <laughs> that I, I went to a game where that was the outfield and I was like, I, I came to the twins and was expecting, you know, like, uh, you know, at least uh, mid, not Mitch Garver. I was expecting to see, you know, Max Kepler out there at least, or, you know, maybe, maybe we weren't going to get us by bucks inside. We knew that wasn't going to happen, but then, you know, I was treated to the delightful outfield <laughs> meal of Jake cave and Marco Trace. And it just was, it's like, Oh, this is the roster that we're trying out in, you know, end of August. It's great. Yeah. Well, Jake cave has found a new cave, I believe in Philadelphia. That was yes. where he ended up. Yeah. And he, so. and he exacted some revenge in spring training by hitting a monster home run. That's right. I believe off Tyler Molly. So, uh, you know, everything is good in Jake cave land. All right. The final move for the Twins this offseason was the Donovan Solano signing, which just happened a couple weeks ago, uh, right around the beginning of spring training. Um, small deal, one year, $2 million. Uh, he's a solid veteran presence who is a right-handed hitting player, which is a big thing for the Twins uh, at this point. Uh, and this signing kind of strikes me pretty similar to Joe Smith signing last year. Now, obviously, the lockout played a bit of uh, a factor, but... 
it was the same thing where he signed once we got started into spring training and it's kind of a little bit of a last gasp contract. See what he has left. If anything, if not, you know, like Joe Smith, if we get to July and it's just not working out, you can cut him. It's 2 million bucks. It's not the end of the world. Uh, if he works out, you have, you know, a guy who's a little bit of a Luis Arias light version where he makes a lot of contact, uh, doesn't offer much else at this point, but he hits right. Uh, he hits right-handed. He hits both lefties and righties well. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, with Jorge Polanco potentially hurt to start the season, Alex Kirloff probably starting on the IL. Um, I think he'll get some action early on here. Yeah, I mean, he his WRC plus last year against lefties was um, 112. Um, against righties, 93. So, you know, compare that to basically an average major league hitter is a, at, a, at 100. Um, he's contributing he's able to he doesn't have to be platooned um he's a guy that will be very solid coming off the bench but if you do need to start him for uh, a few games you're not worried about that um and yeah it does look like he is probably going to be playing a bit more for the twins than maybe we had originally expected uh when he got signed yeah they call him donnie barrels we'll see if he can barrel some balls yeah uh hopefully we'll see if that power is truly there or not one interesting move that the twins didn't make this offseason was not signing any free agents for the bullpen. Uh, last year, the bullpen was one of, I don't know if it was the biggest, but one of the bigger issues with the Twins. Um, obviously, we had our all-star uh, caliber reliever. He wasn't an all-star exactly, but uh, Johan Duran, um, who was lights out last year, was an absolute re- revelation. The only problem was the rest of the bullpen was not very good. Um Obviously, we're very familiar with the struggles of Emilio Pagan, um, but we also made a, a midseason trade for Jorge Lopez. That didn't really work out. He, Even though he was a really good closer out in Baltimore when he came here, kind of just lost some of his stuff. Um, and, you know, we had some other guys. You know, Griffin Jacks kind of showed that he was maybe a potentially uh, good setup man. Um, and there was still some other you know, pitchers here and there who contributed, but ultimately the bullpen was a challenge. There was another, so we also made a trade for Michael Fulmer as well. Um, And so a lot of Twins fans were probably wondering if we were going to do anything about the bullpen this offseason. And the Twins decided to start free agency uh, by re-signing Emilio Pagan, which uh, I'm sure not a lot of people were super happy with. Yeah, I mean, Pagan... You get why the front office likes him, right? He has yes. all the stuff. He throws the stuff is incredible. It's incredible. He throws a hundred miles an hour. The problem is, is he throws it right down the middle of the plate. Yeah. <laughs> he he cannot stop throwing it right down the middle of the plate. Um, I don't remember what exactly the number was, but he was giving up a historic amount of home runs last year. Now, mm-hmm. I do think you have to give him a little bit of credit in the second half when they moved into a lower leverage role. He got right. a lot better, but. Um, you know, counting on him to be a seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy is a losing battle. Mm-hmm. I, I think if, you know, he's still kept in that low leverage role, that's a that's going to be a really good sign for the Twins and what they've built with their bullpen. I also think as far as their bullpen goes, um, they didn't sign anybody because they believe they can develop them internally. And I think mm-hmm. they have a good track record of that. They did it with Duran. They did it with uh, Jax. Uh, they did it with, you know, if you want to go back to Matt Whistler, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're good at finding these guys on the fringes and making them big long-term contenders. I mean, even Caleb Thielbar, who last year was straight up one of the best relievers in the American League, um, he was a reclamation project after being out of baseball and in an independent league for, mm-hmm. what, five, six years. And right. so putting together a bullpen, I think, is one area they've decided we can we can save money here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year I think is really going to put that to the test. Um, the other thing with the bullpen, uh, you talked about Jorge Lopez, who was their big deadline acquisition last year. Yep. Uh, while he did struggle with the twins in the second half, I also do think uh, there's some easy adjustments he can make that will get him back to the form he showed in the first half. Uh, mm-hmm. Our own John Foley at Twinkietown wrote an article basically about how he believes they can fix Jorge Lopez. Yep. And what he found was uh, after coming over to the Twins, for whatever reason, Lopez's uh, release angle, is that the right word? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I'd say that's what it is. Yeah, Brian, cut that. Um, <laughs> uh, L- Lopez's release angle changed uh, specifically uh, with his four seamer and with his cutter, where uh, they just became much more hittable. And just adjusting that back to where it was uh, allowed the pitches to get a little more deception, have a little more break, and provide a little bit more of that um, dominance that you're looking for out of a late inning guy. Um, I, I think the Twins are going to have to rely on him because they don't have any other options. Uh, reportedly, in a inner squad game the other day, Yohan Duran got hit in the leg with a yeah. uh, comebacker from uh, Alex Kirloff and was walking around pretty gingerly. The twins haven't uh, said anything all that definitive about him, but you know, I, th- I think the t- bullpen being successful in 2023 uh, hinges almost entirely on Yoan Duran continuing to be one of the best relievers in baseball and mm-hmm. him missing any amount of time, I think would be pretty disastrous for them. Yeah. And we'll talk about this when we go through the roster rundown. But part of the challenge last year, too, was because we had guys like Dylan Bundy and uh, crap, what's his name? Chris Archer. Chris Archer, yeah. We had guys like Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer who uh, could only survive one trip through the bullpen. Most of the times you want a guy to at least survive two, get you you know, at least five innings of work. Um, but we had to go to our bullpen maybe as early as the fourth inning because um, these guys couldn't deal second type of the order. They were just um, unable to prevent the the other team from scoring. And so that really tired the bullpen um, naturally because, you know, they're just working more than they than they are used to. Um, and so hopefully this year with, you know, more solid starting pitching, uh, we don't have to go to the bullpen until – you know, ideally the seventh, but even if, you know, it's only the sixth inning, um, I think that's going to be better for the twins overall and for the bullpen's health. Definitely. Uh, the last non-move the twins made this off season was not trading Max Kepler, which after the Joey Gallo signing, everybody kind of assumed was going to happen, myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, having both Kepler and Gallo seemed a bit redundant. It seemed like Kepler had maybe run out of rope here in Minnesota with you know, after that really good 2019, just consistently underperforming, pounding the ball into the ground over and over and over, weak ground balls uh, to second base seemed like every other time he was uh, up to bat. But he's still on the roster. He's most likely going to start on opening day. And, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything the Twins think they can adjust at this point because they've had plenty of time to work with him and adjust. But uh, if there is anything there, you know, we saw in 2019 just how valuable Max Kepler can be. Yeah, and I, I don't know if the Twins have this hope. I'm, I'm sure a lot of Twins fans have this hope where because the shift is now going to be banned in, in Major League Baseball that all those grounders that Kepler was hitting or, or you know, those those hits to shallow uh, right field, you know, you know maybe they're going to drop now. Um, I personally don't think banning the shift is going to make Max Kepler that much better of a hitter. Um, we've already seen some weird stuff from teams in the major in, in spring training on how they want to maybe do a pseudo shift with with moving an outfielder into that that shallow spot that maybe the second baseman of the shortstop used to occupy. Uh, I don't necessarily think that major league teams are going to do that, but the thing is, these these teams are smart. They're going to learn how to adjust without a shift, um, and I, I don't think it's going to you know do that much. Maybe it increases Kepler's batting average by a couple points, but it's not going to make him all of a sudden, you know, like an above average outfielder. I mean, frankly, I think even if they pay, played Max Kepler straight up every single at bat, he still wouldn't be that much better. Uh, mm-hmm. He just hits the ball so weakly all the time. And maybe there's, you know, we, we saw him in the first half last year. He was hitting the ball a little harder. There was some promise. The Twins moved him up higher in the lineup because of it in that first yep. half. And then he kind of regressed back to his old self. And maybe there's some injuries contributing to that. But mm-hmm. either way, I I think I personally have run out of hope for Max Kepler to turn around. He's almost 30 at this point. If mm-hmm. he does, I will be super ecstatic. He's a great guy. Everybody really seems to like being around him and playing with right. him. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, good defense only takes you so far, especially when you have, uh, you know, like we mentioned with Gallo, a lot of other people that can fill his role. Right. It, and it's really weird with Kepler, too, because all his advanced stats look really, really good. You know, he's a top 50 
batter in terms of strikeout rate. He's a top 50 batter in terms of walk rate. Um, you know, he has decent uh, power off the bat. Um, he's good, you know, makes hard contact f- frequent enough that he should be a good player. Uh, the only just problem, just it straight into the ground. <laughs> that's the problem, right? It, it's actually <laughs> what you kind of see with, um, maybe a more extreme example with uh, Christian Yelich out in Milwaukee, where you know he was a great, you know, doubles hitter. He was lifting the ball. All of a sudden, um, he has some issues with his back. I'm not saying Kepler's is due to injury; it might just be a, a, an approach thing. But all of a sudden, Yelich just started hammering these balls into the ground. So even though he was hitting them hard, they were just going nowhere. And, and that seems to be the issue with Kepler. Um, yeah, he's just. You know, 47% ground ball rate last year. That's just not going to lead to a lot of success. Um, and couple that with a low fly ball rate. Um, yeah. it, it seems stupid to just to say like, oh, lift the ball, right? Because I'm sure he's trying to figure that out too. Um, but it it's just a, yeah, it's just something that um, hopefully we don't have to deal with as much for Twins fans. Uh, hopefully he does, you know, figure something out. Maybe, maybe David Popkins is able to adjust his swing or something like that this season. Um, but that remains to be seen. Um, ultimately if he's going to be a contributor on this team or not. Definitely. So the last thing player-wise we want to talk about with the offseason uh, is the minor league signings that uh, took place. You know, some smaller deals, but guys that could potentially make impacts on the Twins this year, potentially as early as opening day, depending mm-hmm. on the injury situation. Yep. Um, so the important names to know are Willie Castro, who spent a lot of time with the Tigers, so Twins fans are familiar with him. Uh, Patrick Murphy, who has some big league experience with the Nationals. Uh, Danny Coulom, who has been with the Twins for the last few years. And Kyle Garlick, same with him. And Aaron Sanchez, uh, who is a former, you know, frontline all-star starting pitcher, but has kind of been regressed to a fringe roster candidate who Mm -hmm. uh, came back after being with the Twins last year. Uh, The last name who could contribute, I think, for the Twins on a minor league deal uh, is Jose De Leon. And if Twins fans are familiar with him, uh, he is the former top prospect for the Dodgers who the twins were really trying to acquire when they traded Brian Dozier. Uh, yep. That ended up not working out, but you know, however long it is later, seven, eight years, uh, they got him just took yep. a little while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, Jose De Leon too. The, the fun thing for him was that he pitched um, five and two thirds of perfect baseball uh, for team Puerto Rico and the WBC. So uh, that was kind of fun uh, to, to witness. Um, yeah, but out of these names, I mean, Kyle Garlick is probably the one that stands out the most and the one that Twins fans are the most familiar with because he's um, yeah, just been a, a staple as like a fourth outfielder uh, for the Twins for the past couple seasons. Um, the other thing, too, with Garlick is his bat. Um, and it's not that it's anything remarkable, uh, but it's just the fact that he's a right-handed bat. And this team... Uh, decided to go really heavy on left-handers uh, over this offseason. And so Garlic, basically, um, you know, if you if you don't count, uh, basically is our only left a right-handed hitting corner outfielder uh, is probably the best way to describe uh, Garlic. So it, it would not be surprising to see him up uh, with the team. The, the only thing is he's not on the 40-man roster, I believe, right now. He's not. Um, so yeah. So in order to for him to to join the Twins, will probably make a corresponding move. But um, that's something that the, they'll be able to figure out pretty easily if they want to get his bat in the lineup. So um, ultimately, we'll see who else uh, from that list ends up contributing. Um, you're always going to need depth, and we saw that last year with injuries. Um, that this year might not be that much different, and so hopefully, um, these guys when they do come up are are able to contribute um, at a major league level. Definitely. Um, the last guy I want to mention is a player who I know absolutely nothing about, but his <laughs> name is Locke St. John. Uh, I know nothing about him. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he does, but I love the name and I hope he has a very long and healthy and successful major league career. Apparently he's a 30 year old lefty reliever. Okay. Long doesn't seem likely, but <laughs> who knows, you know, with, with that name, I'm sure it'll work. will work out for him. <laughs> That's right. All right. So the last thing we want to talk about uh, as far as the offseason review goes is some, you know, non-roster moves that the Twins made uh, to change up the team, hopefully enhance the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? So the first thing is that they hired a new head trainer and a new uh, training staff. 
The head trainer is Nick Paparesta. He comes over from the Oakland Athletics organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, he apparently was on the training staff for Rocco Baldelli with the Rays when he was dealing with his injury issues. So they have a good personal relationship. Uh, but I think either way, that this could be a solid move. The Twins have struggled severely with injuries for the last few years. And so even if there's nothing really all that significantly different about mm-hmm. uh, one trainer versus another, maybe just getting a different voice in the room who can better communicate uh, with the front office, with the coaching staff on timelines, recovery, things like that could significantly help. Because I remember there were quite a few times last year where uh, you know fans were given a timeline and when a player would come back and end up being you know weeks longer than that. Yeah, I mean, last year too, we were kind of affected by the lockout where, um, you know, basically starting in December, um, players couldn't have any contact with the team and that included um, the training staff. And so we saw a lot of guys show up in spring training with, um, you know, they might have gotten schedules maybe from the Twins. You know, the Twins were a little bit proactive prior to the lockout in, in trying to create, you know, uh, offseason schedules for each player. Um, but it's just hard when you don't have someone uh, to work with you through those things, and uh, in the result, that kind of la- that resulted in you know maybe more injuries than we were expected um, to have last last year, and in longer timelines than we were expecting to have. Um, so it was just tough on the old training staff, but uh, but I agree, it was maybe maybe time for for a new voice um, in, in that spot. And so uh, good for the Twins to to make this hire. I mean, he spent he was the head athletic trainer for the Athletics. Um, so, you know, this, this wasn't like a guy that they promoted from, you know, some assistant athletic trainer position, you know, this guy has been a major league, uh, baseball athletic trainer for quite some time. So, uh, yeah, he clearly comes with a lot of experience and, uh, we'll see if it helps the twins out. Definitely. The, uh, next big change the twins made, uh, was introducing their new jerseys. Uh, they got a rebrand for the first time in quite a while. And me personally, I'm a big fan. I know a lot of people don't like the M caps say they look too much like the Marlins. Yeah. I don't even mind those that much. I don't know, man. I like them. It, well, I mean, it was kind of funny where when Arias got traded, it was like, oh, he didn't even change teams. Like, you know, he's wearing the same hat. Um, no, I, I do like the new ones. I think they look um, very clean. Um, I mean, I'm always going to love the old, you know, Minnesota script. Um, uh, but with the new uniforms, I do think they, you know, they look good. Um, I think they've looked good in spring training and I, I kind of like how, uh, I don't know if bold is the right answer, but the, the colors just kind of stand out a little bit more. Um, yeah. and I, and I, I do like that. And so even if the hat's a little bit, you know, uh, too similar to another team's hat, um, uh, it's, it still looks good. Yeah, I I love the Twin Cities cream colored jerseys. As soon as I can yes. get my hands on one, I want to get a Carlos Correa jersey uh, that looks like that. Um, also, I think the the road jerseys got a huge upgrade. I hated the old road grays; thought they were boring. <laughs> Nothing yeah. going on with them. Yep. And so, getting something a little bit different, something a little bit new, I think will be fun. And then, of course, uh, abandoning the dreaded Casota gold. And uh, yes. I know I'm a little bit more in the minority here, but I really didn't like the red, uh, the red jerseys with the red pants. Oh, it didn't sure. look like the twins. I don't know that that's not the twins. The twins aren't red to me. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I could see a reason for that. Um, I mean, my favorite twins uniform wasn't even in the normal rotation. I mean, I love the baby blues. Oh so, yeah, of course. Um, those those were my favorites, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how the new uniforms look uh, come opening day. All right. Uh, other changes similar to go along with the rebrands made some ballpark changes. Uh, there's a new screen in left field. They updated the Minnie and Paul logo with wind twins across it. Uh, and they have an LED baseball medallion in right field. So, you know, so, some minor upgrades, but hopefully one that's ones that will make the in-game experience a little more enjoyable for fans. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the new screen will be fun. Obviously it'll just be a gigantic thing. Uh, the medallion, I don't really understand, but cool i guess uh, whatever it, yeah it just looks like a baseball a lit up baseball on top of a you know a thing it's just like okay cool I, i'm probably not going to notice that a lot yeah uh, i don't even think i knew about that until you put it in the show notes so yeah, there yeah, you go. I, it was it was like a really small thing that they made in their in their pr announcement i think a lot of people skipped over <laughs> it so maybe maybe that means like when twins fans come to target field they'll be like oh what is that thing in right field you know it'll yeah. be a conversation starter so now, the final move the Twins made was potentially a big one, which is they have a new owner. 
Uh, It's the same ownership group. The Twins didn't get sold, but Joe Polad, the nephew of Jim, uh, took over running the day-to-day operations for the Twins. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joe has been involved with the organization for quite some time. Uh, He knows Falvey and Levine. He knows Rocco. He knows the players. And so he's not an outsider coming in. Uh, In reality, probably nothing's going to change. But Mm -hmm. at least in his first initial meetings with the press, he's said the right things. He said he'd be willing to spend more money. Um, you know, by all accounts, it really seems that uh, Derek Falvey likes working with him, which I know is a big thing for front office people. He mm-hmm. seems to, you know, he's a little younger. He has a little bit more understanding of how modern baseball works. Uh, but at the same time, he's letting the front office do their jobs. So uh, yeah. maybe nothing will change. But if it does, maybe it's for the better. Yeah. I, I, maybe the one big thing is that his he actually has an office where all the other twins executives have offices. Apparently that just wasn't a thing with the old owners, uh, not old owners, I guess just Jim Polad um, and, and Carl Polad before him. But um, yeah, he has an office now where all the other twins executives do. So maybe that means he has a little bit more say. I know he was kind of a big catalyst behind like, you know, going after Correa. Um, I know that was kind of one of this, one of his things, um, but it looks like he does trust Falvey to, um, you know, control this team and he's not going to, you know, make, or force the team to make a move uh, just because he wants it. Yeah, definitely. And if he does stay true to his word about being willing to spend, then, you know, maybe the twins are going to be in a really good position here soon. Yeah. One can hope. All right. So the last thing we want to do is I want to kind of go over the roster and we can talk about how we're looking for the twins as a whole in 2023. So we'll just run down position by position. Starting pitchers looks like it's going to be Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Tyler Molly, Kenta Maeda. Uh, obviously there's a lot of depth behind them, starting with Bailey Ober, who's probably, you know, one of the most overqualified AAA starters, uh, who's probably going to start the season there. Uh, and the bullpen, uh, Yohan Duran, uh, Jorge Lopez, Griffin Jacks, Caleb Thielbar, Jorge Alcala, uh, Emilio Pagan, Giovanni Moran, and kind of a wild card spot that's still open right now with Trevor McGill just being optioned with, uh, rough spring so far. Uh, I think that position could go to Cole Sands or one of the minor league guys we talked about earlier. Probably mm-hmm. the leading candidate in that group would be Danny Coulomb, given his you know good track record with the Twins the last couple of years. Yeah, one one small move too that the Twins had made was that they had claimed um, Danny Santana off waivers uh, from I believe the Texas Rangers. Uh, but then the Mets just claimed Danny Santana off our waivers because we had optioned him. Uh, we're not optioned. We had uh, opted to put him on waivers. So okay. that that truly is a little bit of a wild card. Um, it, it looks like it could be a guy who's in long relief. Um, I know the Twins have have said a lot that they want a guy who can, can do long relief and that maybe that opens um, the door for Cole Sands because he uh, was a starter uh, back in the minors. Um, but if they want more of a traditional reliever, yeah. Um, yeah, I could see see going to Danny Kalum or something like that. And it does seem like, you know, the other starters in the minors besides Sands, they really want to keep them stretched out working as starters yep. mm-hmm. versus Cole Sands is most likely ending up in the bullpen long term anyway. Mm-hmm. And so that that's why Cole Sands could be the leading candidate there. Uh, also, as far as, you know, adding guys, waiver claims, different things like that, I'm sure we'll see a few moves before the season starts. The Twins actually do have an open 40-man spot right now, and mm-hmm. they can create another one pretty easily with Matt Cantorino, who's recovering from Tommy John surgery. He's still on the roster. He's not on the 60-day injured list yet where he wouldn't count against the 40-man roster. So they do have, you know, two pretty easily made roster spots if they need them, either for guys in camp right now that aren't on the 40-man or guys that could be added uh, in the next couple of weeks before the season starts. Yeah, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting that, excuse me, it'll be interesting, interesting to see if they call up um, one of the guys like uh, Josh Winder, but I believe he is going, is maybe somewhat injured, which is why he's not like a shoe-in for this spot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how this, this all shakes out at the end of camp. Then moving to the position players, uh, with this, I'm assuming that Alex Kirilov is starting on the IL along with Jorge Polanco. Uh, the twins put out an update, I believe a couple days ago, uh, where they said, you know, we're not calling it definite yet, but it's not looking likely like he's ready opening day. Uh, so I'm going to assume that he starts on the injured list. And with that, then most likely starting, you have, uh, Christian Vasquez at catcher, Joey Gallo at first, uh, Nick Gordon or Donovan Solano at second, 
Uh, Jose Miranda at third, shortstop Carlos Correa, and then outfield of Trevor Larnick, Michael A. Taylor, Max Kepler, and Buxton at DH, like I mentioned before, where I think he'll see the majority of the time uh, to start the season. Uh, on the bench with that group would be the other of Gordon or Solano, Kyle Farmer, Ryan Jeffers, uh, and then another wild card spot with these injuries, you know, somebody like Hilberto Celestino, uh, Edward uh, Julian, who just had a really big uh, World Baseball Classic appearance, or a non-roster guy like Willie Castro or Kyle Garlick. Yeah, the other thing, too, to mention, too, is that Celestino is probably going to be out for the next six to eight weeks. So um, he might not immediately come up, but he is going to likely be somewhat of a contributor considering his major league experience over the last two years. Um, the Twins do want him to get plenty of experience in AAA because he basically skipped AAA in getting to the majors. Um, so he'll be a guy to watch out as you know someone who has that major league experience. Uh, granted, wasn't pretty, but uh, experience is experience. So um, yeah, will be interesting to see if he comes up. And uh, the other thing too is with this positional flexibility that the Twins have, you know, a guy like you know Kyle Farmer could easily. Um, slide over to third and maybe Miranda goes plays first and then Gallo goes back to the outfield. Um, I, the twins have set themselves up to be able to deal with injuries and considering that we're going to start the season likely with uh, maybe one or two uh, starting uh, position players on the injured list. Um, I think we're already seeing that plan go into motion here yeah. uh, on opening day. As far as injury updates go for Kirloff and Polanco, uh, Kirilov just started taking live at bats. Unfortunately, one of the first of those ended with a line drive in Yohan Duran's knee. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, encouraging that he's taking swings reportedly, he's not feeling any pain in that wrist that's called caused him troubles the last couple of years. Uh, if you can get back, he can be healthy. Uh, I think he's the biggest X factor on the twins this year, as far as, you know, his potential and the guy he's looked like already in the majors when he's been healthy, uh, which mm -hmm. has been frankly, not that often, but if he can be that guy, uh, it'll be big. For Jorge Polanco, the biggest issue with him has just been that he hasn't really conditioned up for a major league season. Uh, apparently, he didn't do a lot of activity in the offseason recovering from uh, surgery, and so he's still kind of building up his conditioning and has been a little slower than the Twins anticipated to get him ready for the start of the season. Yeah, um, and one more name, too, to mention. Um, obviously, it's not in play at all right now is Royce Lewis, who is coming back from his second ACL tear. Um, but he will probably be available uh, June, July of this year. So he's going to be another you know utility bat um, that the Twins will definitely want to utilize on the bench. Uh, but as we, you know, as we've seen in, in previous years, the roster on opening day is not going to be the same roster that you have uh 25% of the way through the season, halfway through the season, ending the season. Um, and I think that's why the Twins worked so hard to get this major league depth um, because situations like this um, aren't just going to pop up now. They're going to pop up throughout the entire season. Definitely. So, you know, with kind of the whole roster picture in your head, what would you say are the biggest strong points, the biggest weak points? You know, where, where do you kind of see – Let's start with the strong points. Where do you see the Twins thriving this year? Uh, it feels like the first time I can say this in a long time, but the starting pitching rotation looks great. Um, it, you know, there might not be a true ace on this staff anymore. I mean, you know, maybe a couple years ago you could have said Kenta Maeda. I mean, obviously, a couple years ago he finished second in Cy Young voting for the American League. Um, you know, Pablo Lopez has the potential to be a number one guy. Um, uh, but you know, it's going to depend on health, uh, for him. Um, uh, but honestly, it's a really solid group of guys who would look very comfortable as number two or number three starters on any other team in the majors. And we've got five of them. Um, you know, it's not like previous years where we're trotting out, you know, like Matt Shoemaker, uh, you know, Dylan Bundy, uh, Jay Happ, you know, these are all guys who, um, are legitimate major league starters. And um, I think that's going to be something that the, the that we're going to really enjoy. You know, it's been qu quite a few years since we could say, you know, one through five is really solid. And, you know, if someone goes down, we still have Bailey Ober, who you mentioned, 
you know, maybe the most overqualified triple A pitcher right now, um, who will be more than ready to step up and, and take that last spot on the roster. So, um, yeah, I would say that the strongest point on this roster by far is, is the starting pitching. Yeah, I, I would completely agree, which is surprising given, you know, two years ago, three years ago, it was the Bomba squad and all the home runs and yep. maybe the pitching can keep up. Maybe it can't, but I think definitely their strongest point is the starting pitching. Now, I also think that, you know, it could go sideways pretty quick. There's injury questions about Sonny Gray, Tyler Molly, Kenta Maeda, yep. uh, Jorge Lopez up until last year uh, was a fairly injured pitcher. Joe Ryan only has one year of full starting experience under his belt. And so mm-hmm. it, it could go sideways pretty quickly, but I'm pretty confident that the floor for every one of those guys is pretty high. Maybe the ceiling isn't as high as you want it, but the floor should provide a solid uh, starting ground. Uh, I also think that Joe Ryan potentially has another level he could go to. I still don't Mm -hmm. think he can become a true ace, but at least, you know, become the ace of this twin staff, if nothing Mm -hmm. else. Um, He's about as close to a one pitch pitcher as you get for a starting pitcher in the majors. He throw last year, he threw his fastball 60% of the time, uh, which was down from the year before when he threw it 65%. And (laughs) so, it's a really good fastball. Don't get me wrong, but he's been tinkering with his secondary pitches, trying to, uh, you know, get a little more break on his slider. He's reportedly been working on a new kind of sweeping pitch and then a mm-hmm. changeup as well. And so if he can, you know, throw those more consistently, get some more action on them than he's gotten in the past, uh, make them really solid, reliable pitches, uh, he'll be much better off. So for context last year, according to StatCast, uh, players hit 174 off of his fastball, but then hit 262 off his slider, 277 off his changeup, 286 off of his curveball. So, yeah, um, you know, definitely a lot to be desired with those secondary pitches. If he can get even a second, let alone a third reliable pitch, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's easily another step he can take. Yeah, the the magic phrase for a couple of twins pitchers is uh, he went to driveline. Um, yeah, definitely. Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, both of those guys went to driveline. Um, just for those who don't know, driveline is basically a, a independent pitching lab uh, that um, has really gained a lot of cachet over the past couple of years, uh, just because they've got basically the the newest tech, the the most up to date uh, sensors and things like that, and they're able basically to track anything. Uh, about a pitcher um and yeah joe ryan definitely worked on his uh slider maybe his sweeper is probably more accurate to say um at driveline and i know tyler molly went there to tweak a couple things with his slider as well um and yeah so we'll see if the stuff improves for any of these guys um it you know it, it is a team that has pretty really solid stuff already so if they're able yeah. to tweak it and and use it to their advantage even just a little bit more um that could really help this team out Definitely. Um, As far as weak points go, I think we've hammered this home already, but the bullpen, uh, I think it's already shallow. And with Duran potentially hurt, uh, we're going to be testing the depth really early on here. Um, I think they're clearly setting themselves up for another trade deadline acquisition for another guy like Michael Fulmer, who's in his last year of team control, pick him up for something cheap and, you know, kind of build out the back end of the bullpen on the fly a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the next best AAA guy is probably Trevor McGill, who we just optioned because we didn't think he was good enough to get that last spot. Um, who there also are some has fun- a bit of Emilio Pagan syndrome in that he yeah. can overthrow pitches right down the middle. Yeah, just a little bit. But yeah, besides that, I mean, we, we mentioned the, some of those names, Danny Klum, Patrick Murphy. Uh, another interesting guy that they signed was Jeff Hoffman, who um, had a couple good years in Colorado, I believe. Um but ultimately, yeah, the the it's not as important to have you know good relievers in the organization because you know most teams believe that they can you know turn anyone into a, a, a solid reliever. Uh, but it isn't pretty uh, if you know a couple of these guys get hurt. Definitely, um, and then you know, kind of some overarching pictures of the roster. I think if there's one space where you can say the Twins are. This is why the Twins are going to be better in 2023 than they were in 2022 Mm -hmm. is the depth, right? And so we talked about it with the outfield already with the rash of injuries that they have, the types of guys they were running out uh, Mm -hmm. in the second half last year. I think, you know, the moves they picked up where Kyle Farmer maybe is a little overtaxed as a starting shortstop like he was last year for the Reds. But as a backup utility infielder, 
you can't get much better with that. Same with Ryan Jeffers by acquiring Christian Vasquez. You kind of push him down a little bit with his role. Uh, mm-hmm. He becomes a lefty specialist, uh, crushing lefties. Uh, mm-hmm. That's great. Nick Gordon might not even start, and he was maybe the second best hitter on the Twins last year. Yeah, and so you know, just having that depth, being more prepared for those injuries, especially you know Michael A. Taylor with Byron Buxton. Uh, the twins are going to be set up really, really well for when, like every team, they have to deal with the injury issues. Yeah. And I think this is something that, you know, the twins aren't the first to innovate in this way. You know, I'm sure plenty of other teams have also done similar things, but by not having a defined DH role, they're able to cycle guys through that DH spot, you know, keep guys healthy. You know, like you mentioned, Nick Gordon, he's probably not going to, you know, start in the field on opening day, but he's going to get, you know, 500 at bats this year. The twins are going to work to get his bat uh, in the rotation. Um, You know, guys like Solano, who, you know, we mentioned is an above, an above average hitter. Um, You might not think too much of him, but he can play first and second. Um, And so that's going to help out when, you know, Polanco is hurt or, or Kirilov is hurt. You know, both the guys are hurt right now. And so Solano is going to slot into position and he's not going to be a detriment to the team offensively. Thanks for listening to the Twins Talk podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, you can follow me at the John Cut, and you can follow Ben Jones at Ben Jones underscore five. Uh, in addition, check out the stuff that we're doing over at Twinkie Town. Still a lot of articles getting ready for opening day, um, and we'll definitely have a lot of content for you to be checking out uh, as we prepare for the start of the season. Yeah, be sure to. Uh, like and subscribe to the podcast if you liked it give it a five-star review everything you can do helps uh, and we're really grateful for everybody who tuned in and listened Uh, but thank you for listening and we'll be with you guys soon